Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. All right, and giddy up. This is Maximize Your Influence. Welcome aboard. Kurt Mortensen here. This is podcast 426. As we take a dive in what you are doing to cause resistance, why people are saying no, turning a no to yes, and taking your life and your income to the next level. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing it. Let's talk about some of those success skills. So hopefully everyone's having a good week. I'm a little hoarse. A lot of training, a lot of talking today from college courses to nonprofit training to teaching customer service to, which is the topic of the week, how do you inspire the uninspirable? How do you motivate the unmotivated? How do you drive change to the unchangeable? So that's what I've been up to. Let me know what you're up to at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And without hesitation, let's jump into the persuasion blunder. So I was marrying this student at the university, and they have these little booths they set up every now and then. You know, people try to persuade you. They different things that they're doing. This particular week had a few recruiters and a few recruiters from the military. I don't know if these people were on commission. It kind of seems like it sometimes. I'm not sure. Someday I'll ask them, but they were there to recruit, to motivate, to inspire, to get people to join the military. And it was the worst case of persuasion I've seen in a long time. So I knew this particular student, their interest was in foreign languages, being interrogator, being interpreter, something along those lines, using this foreign language. And they were really interested in the military, the different branches. They weren't quite sure, getting some information. They were just walking by and here comes this recruiter. I won't say what branch, but yeah, the persuasion darts. Nothing. It was the whole vomiting. You should be doing this. Throwing these persuasion darts. What I mean by persuasion darts is that they have no idea what the person wants. They're just throwing these persuasion darts, these features, hoping one of the darts sticks. Hoping one of the things excites them versus really trying to persuade the person. So, I mean, these darts were flying. They were just guessing, what about this? And you can do this and this and this, and you get to travel. And they were throwing all these darts, and none of them stuck. Actually turned the person off, and they left when originally they were interested. I don't know, are you throwing darts? Are you causing resistance? Are you getting the no? Are you saying too much? Uh, Maybe you are. Now, where's the blunder? Where do they blow it? Uh, Well, how about a question? What's the most interesting thing about the military for you? What is the number one thing you're looking for? What concerns do you have? What have you heard? Something. Give me something. Ask more questions. Dig a little deeper. Too many people do this. And why do they do this? Because it works sometimes. Sometimes you throw a dart and it sticks. Sometimes you've guessed the right thing. Maybe six out of 10 think it's interesting, but what about the other 40% that you're losing? All it takes is a few more seconds, a few more questions to find out what's going on. And we know this is the duh factor, duh. We've talked about that before, but it's just this default knee-jerk reaction, not sure what to do, you just start throwing darts. And usually the darts are what you think are cool, not what the person thinks, what you think. 
I've talked about it before on the podcast when I was doing some secret shopping at a car dealership, and they were so excited. Satellite radio, 150 stations. They thought it was the coolest thing ever. And with the, that dart, that vomit, they gave me an objection. I don't want this thing. Why are you so excited about it? Because, you know, I'm a personal development junkie. I want to listen to podcasts, books on audio. And I'm thinking, I don't want this thing. It's going to be a hole in my console. Does it pay extra? How do I turn it off? This is going to be a pain. I don't want this. But they, with their dart throwing, thought it was the coolest thing. So be careful. That's a blunder. Don't fall into that trap. And you're like, well, duck hurt. I know, but it happens all the time. It's a default setting. We just go there. Not sure what to say next. Instead of adapting, customizing, asking the questions, finding out what their hot buttons are, we just like zing. And we do it because it works some of the time. But, you know, we're still missing out causing that resistance. And that's what we're talking about. That illusion of resistance. Do you create your own no, your own resistance? What are you doing? What are you saying that is repelling people? Again, this student was interested. They wanted more information and they were so turned off with this barrage of darts of information that they just walked away. And originally they were interested and the person caused resistance. So that is your blunder of the week. Which brings us to the geeky scholarly article. And we're seeing more and more studies about this with the shift of Zoom meetings, right? These virtual chats, more digital, more online, more FaceTime, more fill in the blank, basically less face-to-face time. And so this is from the Journal of Clinical Psychological Science, University of Illinois and ScienceDaily.com, that staring at yourself during virtual chats may worsen your mood. <laughs> So we've talked about Zoom fatigue and the challenges with these big faces on our screens, looking at the mirror, the tension, the fatigue. We all know it takes more energy as a participant and a presenter. I mean, do an eight-hour Zoom calls. It's tough because you lose the energy through the Zoom. When I do it, I have a whiteboard. I'm standing up, multiple cameras. I've got mics, different things going on. It takes a lot more energy than it is face-to-face. And a lot of this, you don't get the interaction. You always get the people, and I get it, who don't turn on their cameras. But then also, you're not feeding off the energy of the audience. And so we know that. We've talked about that. Go to the archives. Look up Zoom fatigue. We've talked about it before and ways to overcome it, to do better on Zoom. I hate it. It's the future. It's not going away. We deal with it. That's just how it is. So let's take a look at this article about a new study that the more a person stares at themselves while talking with a partner online, so online chat, their mood degrades over the course of the conversation, which increase more psychological problems like anxiety and depression, which we know those were both at an all-time high. Anxiety, depression, low self-esteem. I mean, these are huge issues that are happening right now. Now, they're saying this online chat makes it worse. So they use this eye-tracking technology, That's where it tracks your eyes, where it's looking on the screen to see how often you were looking at yourself, looking at others, looking at other things. And they did that to examine the relationship between mood, your focus, what you were focusing on, and your virtual social interaction. And they found that participants who spent more time looking at themselves during the conversation felt worse after the call. So they gauged the mood before and after, how much you looked. (laughs) This is a challenge. We're feeling worse after these things. So they go on to say that the findings from this study add to previous studies suggesting that people who focus more on themselves during these online chat, these calls, these Zoom things, we'll call them, 
So when they're focusing more on themselves instead of external realities or their social interactions, they're probably going to be more susceptible to mood disorders. So the more we're focusing on ourselves, the more likely we are to report feelings of emotions are consistent with things like anxiety and depression. Again, Zoom's not going away. They said that because of the pandemic that Zoom increased 30 times, went from 10 million to 30 million in less than a year. And so they're trying to figure out the depression, the anxiety, the self-awareness, the fatigue, the virtual interaction. What are these trends showing us? So during the study, they could see themselves on a split screen monitor, but they tend to watch themselves more than the other person. Kind of like a mirror, we're looking at ourselves. So bottom line, the more you looked at that other person, you didn't have that same depression, anxiety, and bad mood. But the more you looked at yourself, the more rotten your mood. So what can you do? Well, I don't know if you want to turn your camera off or if you're the presenter trying to get people to look at you more to where you are bigger in the screen. I mean, you can change your view, but being aware that it's an issue. Maybe is it okay just to have a phone call or to turn off the cameras? I'm just putting it out there. It's there. It's real. I know it's here to stay, but it can definitely be a challenge. And some people seem to handle it better than others. Some people don't mind the camera. They have it on all the time. Not a big deal. Some people, doesn't matter what you do or say, they're not turning on that camera. I don't know. It's the new thing. So just be aware of it. The time of your call, what people are looking at. Do you want to show more visual aids, show more videos? Get them off the screen more. But if you're sensing a bad mood, now you know why. Check that one off the list. Let's go to listener email. Oh, boy. This one says it's from Paco. It doesn't give me a country here. He says, I want to go through Influence University. And I know if you read my email on the show, I get free influenceuniversity.com. That's correct, Paco. He says, I do have a question for him getting started in the world of influence. But I do feel like I'm causing resistance, like you talk about, triggering the no. What can I do to reduce resistance? Well, first of all, I would go in influenceuniversity.com to the four hours of resistance. That's a big thing as far as during the persuasion process. But there are other things you could be doing with your body language, your gestures, your word choice. That could trigger resistance. I mean, you got to really believe in your product, your service, what you do. I remember I was brand new in the consulting, speaking, training world. My book just came out and I had this one engagement. I really needed it and I bid it really low. And it was a company that basically dug money out of the ground. We'll just say that. They were into mining. They needed some help on influence, keeping people safe. We'll just say that. And I bid it really low. And I was to the point where like, you wouldn't be interested, would you? And that's one of the ones that really drives me now when people go their head side to side in the know and they're like, you'd be interested, would you? But anyway, I was doing some things wrong and finally someone pulled me aside. And I'll always be grateful for this. He's like, you need to charge more. You need to be more confident. We dig money out of the ground. (laughs) So I found a little more confidence, raised my prices and actually did get the deal. So what are we doing that's causing this resistance? And part of that is prejudging. When we prejudge, we look for reasons why they're not going to do it, why they wouldn't be interested. We manifest that. We see what we look for. We got to look for things why they're interested, not why they're not interested. In fact, a fascinating social experiment happened where these people were going to interview at a company. But before they went in, they were told they were going to put a red dot on their cheek. Then they would go in for this interview, right, for a job. After each interview, 
All the people said they kept staring at the red dot. The interviewer kept staring at the red dot. They were looking at the red dot the whole time. They didn't even listen to me. Now, here's the crazy thing. Only half of them actually received a red dot, but they all said, oh, they were looking at it. They were looking at my dot the whole time. What does that mean? You get what you look for. So look for the positive. Quit looking for the negative, why they wouldn't be interested. Quit prejudging. That's top of the list of things you're doing to cause resistance. Because if you look for it, your mind will play tricks on it. You're going to see it. So assume the best, not the worst. Adjust your expectations. Adjust your attitude. What do I mean by attitude? Attitude comes from your expectations. Start looking for things that are more positive. Assume they're going to do it. Your expectations are huge. If I'm wiping my feet with the expectation of going in your house, that increases the chance of me going in. Law of expectations. Check it out in Maximum Influence. If I hand you the pen with a contract, it increases the chances you're going to sign it. If in an email I say thanks in advance, you're more likely to do it. So your expectations, how you're acting, what you're doing, don't sabotage yourself. So in your voice, in your gestures, your expectations, expect the best. Can you see what you want to see? In fact, go to a football game. Just go as a neutral party. It's amazing when there's that big hit. One side says, oh, good hit. The other side says, oh, cheap shot, cheap shot. <laughs> you tell people that have had surgery, oh, it's going to take a couple weeks versus, oh, you're going to recover in a week. It makes a big difference. Give someone decaffeinated coffee, but you tell them it's regular coffee, they do feel more energetic. I'm just saying, we have this perception bias. You can't bring that in. Because that moment, they won't be interested. They won't care. You wouldn't be interested with you. Oh, I can tell I'm boring them. They're being different. They're not listening. They don't care. That comes across in your gestures, your mannerisms, your voice. Be so careful. Because we have that perception bias. We see what we want to see. In fact, a funny study where they asked wives and husbands about what percent of housework they do. Well, the wife said 90%. The husband said 40%. Now, there's a discrepancy there because that adds up to 130%, but in their mind, <laughs> that's what they thought they were doing. Because the brain's not a hard drive. It will play tricks on you. You will see what you want to see. When there's a UFO sighting, more people start to see him. When this bear escaped from a zoo in Europe, it didn't make it very far, but people started seeing bears. We see, we hear what we want to see. So be very careful. Your brain will play tricks on you. you. You got to have the right expectations, the right mindset, not get stuck in this illusion of resistance, creating your own no, looking for the no. Let's look for the yes. Now I say that you still want to be open to see if they're indifferent. Maybe they are going down that path, but your goal is to look for clusters. When I teach negotiation seminars and detecting deception, the goal is to look for clusters, not just one or two things. This is what I mean. If someone touches their face, doesn't mean they're lying. If someone takes up less space, doesn't mean they're lying. If someone starts perspiring, doesn't mean they're lying. If they use more vocal fillers, doesn't mean they're lying. But ding, ding, ding. If they use all four of those, probably lying. So you want to look for clusters. So just because they look at their watch or their computer or their phone or they fidget a little bit, doesn't mean they're indifferent and you've lost them. But if you start seeing two, three, four of those, maybe you need to adjust your presentation. But don't panic. Don't think they're already at a no. Just fine-tune your presentation. Adjust your presentation to get their attention. Just because they didn't laugh at your joke doesn't mean they're not laughing on the inside. Just because they didn't shake your hand doesn't mean they don't like you. Maybe they're afraid of germs. 
So just because you see one, maybe two things doesn't mean that's what's going on. Be more perceptive. Learn to listen with your ears, your eyes, and your heart. Because when people are interested, then you know you're on the right track. They start to lean forward. Their voice sounds interested. Their head starts to nod up and down. Their eyes start to spark a little bit. Approving glances between people, easy responses, or something like, oh, how fast can we implement this, are the things you're looking for. And you're going to find what you look for. Now, obviously, if you get the opposite, the short answers, their eyes are drifting, arms folded, not giving you a time of day, their hands are clenched, their lips get tight, <laughs> they're staring at their phone. All right, maybe it's time you're going to get the no. And no's are okay now and then, but I just don't want you to think there's a no before it happens. Because your expectations, positive or negative, will dictate your performance during the persuasive presentation. And it's also going to dictate what they do. For example, I was working with some salespeople, and they're like, oh, yeah, we work with successful people, millionaires. Oh, millionaires are hard to persuade. No, they're not. They're easier. When I showed them and convinced them, showed them some of the studies, no, they're actually easier. When you sit down with them, persuade me, sell me. Got five minutes. Why should I do this? Versus other people who are always resistant, not willing to do anything. But when they had that attitude, oh, they're hard to persuade, they found them hard to persuade. But when they switched their mindset, they realized they're easier to persuade, they were easier to persuade. When you're thinking, oh, they're not that sharp, they're not interested, they're not the decision maker. Maybe that's true, but be careful it's not causing resistance. Or every time you have an objection, that's a big complaint. Objections are good, they indicate interest, but sometimes we get all tense. I already answered that. They must not be interested. There's your first objection. No, just treat it like a question. Keep going. It means they're listening. I'd rather have objections than none at all. At least they're listening and thinking it through. But some people, they get the objection, they get all offended, they get all tense. The way they respond to it causes resistance, when the reality is it could be seen as a very, very good thing. So watch your expectations. They influence reality. They are communicated. And the reason this mindset is so important with expectations, because expectations are communicated by glances, body movements, eye contact, and your tone of voice, and even the words you use. In fact, let me tell you a study on expectations. This was at Harvard. Rat experiments, right? Rats run mazes. That's what they do. So they got these students together, divided them in half, and half the students got the smart rats, and the other half got the dumb rats. Uh, all rats, right? The same batch. But the smart rats got better time. Amazing. Same rats, same maze. Little things we do, we pick up along the way. So monitor your expectations. Your first impression expectations and the assumptions you're making during your persuasive presentation. So what do I want you to do? Assume the best. Check your attitude. Remember, attitude comes from expectations. It's no secret that when you feel influential, you are more influential. Studies are clear on that. So assume the best. Assume they're going to be interested. I know what they say about assume, but hey, look for that. Look for clusters. Look at their body language. Manage your expectations don't cause your own resistance. Now, sure, some people are going to resist. Some people are going to say no, but you don't want to be the person causing that resistance. They want to resist. That's fine. That's in another podcast we'll address. It's also in the archives. So there might be some resistance. We'll talk about ways to deal with that, but don't you be the one to cause the resistance, to look for the resistance, to expect the resistance, to have an attitude of resistance because you're going to get resistance. So there you have it. The illusion of resistance. Don't create it. Don't be causing it. 
Don't create the no. So thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Tell your family, friends, and enemy about the podcast. Remember, go to iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio under Maximize Your Influence, or go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com where you get more information on InfluenceUniversity.com. Get the free book, Maximum Influence. Just pick up a little shipping and handling, your free Persuasion IQ assessment, and any information you need to become better at persuasion, motivation, and influence. We'll continue with our special 90% off. Not available anywhere else online. There's just going to be a link under the podcast for the 111 sales hacks. What is that? Well, first of all, there's more than 111, but it's just basically a tool a day. Three, four-minute video. Here's the science. Here's the tool. Here's how you apply it. It becomes part of who you are. You can go as fast, as slow as you want. Get the link. Get the discount all at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. So don't cause the resistance. Don't cause the no... Become a better influencer, and as you know, go out and persuade with power.